In my house right now, a uh, pretty common pastime is playing telephone. Have you ever played telephone before? Of course you've played telephone. Everybody in the world has played telephone at some point, right? This is where you say a phrase to the person next to you and they pass it on and pass it on around the table and you hope that something will come about similar to what was said originally. Now, we have little kids in our house, so playing telephone around the dinner table sounds something like this when a four-year-old comes up to your ear. It's the worst. I'm not a huge fan of telephone, but my kids really love it right now, so we end up playing telephone. And even though the goal is really to see if you can get the phrase at the end to be the same as it was in the beginning, in our house, it ends up being who can mess it up in the most creative way to get everybody else to laugh. Well, it's January 2024, a little more than 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth, and we're still playing telephone with his words. Maybe a little hint of truth in there, but maybe we've twisted them up a little bit as well, which is why we are in this series of messages currently called, I never said that. You have to say it in that tone. I never said that. That's our series right now where we're examining four common encouragements in our society and we're holding them up to who the standard of our Savior who calls us to follow him and to live like him, to be like him. Now some of these phrases really maybe are connected to words that Jesus said and over the game of telephone for 2,000 years, we've just kind of twisted them up a little bit. Others, we know they aren't from Jesus at all. But in our society, they hold as much authority as the words of Jesus should hold in our lives. Let me give you a little clue here as to what our phrase is for this week. our hearts. It's about following your heart, right? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. They're following your heart. Follow your heart, man. Follow your heart, son. Follow your heart. And follow your heart. But you have to follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart, Ron. Right. Just follow your heart. Then follow your heart. He's following his heart. He had to follow his heart. Follow his heart. You follow your heart. But you followed your heart. I follow my heart. And I always follow my heart. But I must follow my heart. The way I follow my heart. Follow your heart. You inspired us to follow our hearts. I'm just following my heart. Just follow the star in your own heart. It takes courage to follow your heart. Follow your heart, kid. You never go wrong. You would have told me to follow my heart. Kiddo, you just gotta follow your heart. I respect your decision. You should follow your heart. My point is, you have to follow your heart. So go, go seek your truth, follow your heart. My heart tells me my duty and I follow it. Follow your heart. And that makes me wanna follow my heart. All right, say it with me. What's the phrase for this week? Follow your heart. 
Follow your heart, that's right. That is only a small sampling of what is available out there in TVs and movies to be able to get that sense of the idea of follow your heart. It's ubiquitous in our society. And if you're like 40 years or, or old or younger in this room right now, your life has likely been saturated with that message of follow your heart. In fact, you may love that phrase a whole lot and wonder, what is Mike going to do to tick me off this morning and disparage my favorite phrase, follow your heart? Well, this is the point in the message where I tell you that Jesus never said, follow your heart. And in fact, you shouldn't follow your heart. Except I can't tell you that. I mean, Jesus didn't say, follow your heart. I'm pretty confident about that. But I can't tell you to not follow your heart because you're going to follow your heart. Think about your heart as the place of choice. It's the place of will. It's the place of desire in your life. Dallas Willard, he was a follower of Jesus and a philosopher, and he called the heart the executive center of a human life. You can learn more about what Dallas Willard said about the heart in a really excellent book that he wrote uh, that would help you, I'm confident, in your discipleship, in your apprenticeship of Jesus called Renovation of the Heart, a remodeling of the heart. This executive center, the heart, controls our choices and then affects our mind and our body and even our social surroundings around us, the choices that we make. But that aspect of choice is fundamental to human, humankind. It's part of who we are as humans to be able to have will, to be able to exercise that will in some way and to be able to make choices, which is why my kids are constantly trying to exercise their will in our house and to find the boundaries of when their will confronts my will or Steph's will. That's just them experiencing humanity. That's a part of who they are as people They're exerting their will in some way. They're following their heart. It's my job as a parent to make sure we put a stop to that as soon as we can. Jonathan Haidt, he's a social psychologist. He has authored or co-authored two books that I really like, The Righteous Mind and The Coddling of the American Mind. And in those books, he utilizes the, the metaphor of an elephant and the rider on an elephant. And the writer is meant to express kind of our rational minds and how we think through things. And the elephant is meant to represent our heart, our emotions, our desires. Now, we all think we're really rational people and that the writer on the elephant is calling all the shots all the time. But the reality is that the elephant makes quick decisions and makes strong decisions. And ultimately, if the elephant wants to go down a particular path, the rider can do very little to actually stop that elephant from going down the path. This is what you and I experience every day of our lives in the choices that we make. We do things that we know we shouldn't do. 
mentally, we know that. And yet, the elephant of our heart takes us down a path that we may not even want to go down, or at least part of us doesn't want to go down. As much as I don't like the phrase, follow your heart, and I don't like the phrase, follow your heart, you are going to follow your heart. That's part of the kernel of truth in this phrase, follow your heart, is that it's something you are going to do. You're going to exercise choice and will in your life. The destructive aspect of this phrase, though, is that it doesn't address, it doesn't address what your heart wants. That is the question that we need to ask. What is it that your heart is following? Who is it that your heart is following? And do the desires of your heart, your strongest desire, does it align with your deepest need? And so often, our strongest desire does not align with our deepest need. And then when we follow our heart after our strongest desire, it leads us down toward destructive ends. Now, we want to be informed by Scripture here as we're going. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. You already heard the passage read. If you have a Bible or a device, I would encourage you to pull up Matthew chapter 4. Matthew was one of the early disciples of Jesus, and he's telling the story from birth to death and resurrection of what happened when Jesus was walking on the earth. And he's got a particular way that he's telling that story. So I'm going to start by reading here. In verse 18 of chapter 4, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. And followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we've already seen that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, he has been out in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil as he fasts from all food. And then he begins to preach this message of repent from your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the way that Matthew is telling this story he is showing how Jesus relived several kinds of experiences that the Israelites had already gone through. And the reason why Matthew is doing that is because he's showing that the Israelites often, when faced with these circumstances, followed their strongest desire when following their heart rather than following God and allowing God to provide for their deepest need in any given moment. 
Jesus then is the contrast to that because as he goes through these same experiences or similar experiences, he makes all the right choices because his heart, his will is aligned with the heart and the will of God as the son of God. So it's at this point then that he starts to find his disciples, his apprentices, who are going to be learning from him over the next several years. And he says to them, not follow your heart, but he says, follow me. Follow me. And so we have these guys, Simon and Andrew, who give up their livelihood not only their livelihood as fishers, but their identity, really, as fishermen. They drop all of their equipment, they leave their nets there, and they follow Jesus. And then you've got James and John, they don't just give up their identity as fishermen, they give up their family identity as well. They leave their father there in the boat in order to go follow Jesus immediately. And Jesus offers them more than what they have experienced before. He says, come follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. He gives them a bigger purpose. He gives them something. He offers them something bigger than anything that they've ever experienced before. And that purpose is a kingdom purpose. And what does that purpose look like? Well, Jesus is going to show them by example right away what that kingdom purpose looks like in the next couple of verses. 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. This is the purpose that he's showing to his disciples. It's one of announcing the kingdom. It's one of inviting people into the kingdom and providing hope and healing for people who are hurting. That's the kingdom purpose, the bigger purpose that he's leading his people to. It's great, great for them. They're gonna be fishers of people. What about us? In what ways do we respond to the words of Jesus? I think the first response that we have to look at is that your heart needs to change. This is critical. If the executive center of our human life, as Willard calls it, isn't following Jesus, then we aren't following Jesus. If we're going after our strongest desire rather than letting Jesus meet our deepest need, that's going to end up being a challenge for us. Now, if we don't accept this, if we don't accept that our heart needs to change, then this mantra of follow your, follow your heart ends up being a self-issued license to do whatever you feel in life and in how you perceive 
the world around you. And what that does then is it ends up having a meaning for us where you have to create your own reality, you have to create your own truth, you have to create your own identity, in which case it's super hyper individualistic and there's no way that it can be reconciled with everybody else's heart and preferences and it can't be reconciled with what actually exists in the world as well. That's what happens, that's what ends up being a destructive part of this phrase, to follow your heart. The problem is, and this part we don't probably like to hear too much, is that your heart and my heart can't always be trusted. Just a little bit later, Matthew, or, uh, Jesus is going to tell these same disciples, he's going to say to them, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So what comes out of our heart can actually defile us in some ways. This is actually a message that the Bible talks about a lot and often in stronger language than even what Jesus did right there. Like in Proverbs 28, where it says, the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I don't like to be called a fool. Do you like to be called a fool? No, I don't want to live a foolish life in that way. Recognizing this, that our heart needs to change in some way, that we can't just trust everything that it makes us feel, that elephant within us, is just plain good self-awareness. That's what that is. If we've fooled ourselves into thinking that our heart can lead us to truth on its own, which is very easy to do within our society where we're allowed to hold our own truth that is special just to us, we're going to have a really hard time following Jesus because some of the things that Jesus said is going to confront what we actually feel in our hearts. And this is kind of the sticky situation is that our hearts won't want to change so much. Our hearts aren't going to want to experience the things that God wants us to experience. We're going to want to follow our strongest desire even when it doesn't match up with our deepest need. But following Jesus is about submitting our desires, our ideas, our kingdoms, our very hearts to him, to the one who is working in our lives, who cares about what is happening in our lives. Now, there may be some fear in this, in that if I can't follow my heart, then I can't be authentic. I can't be my true self. Or maybe this is some other aspect of kernel, that there's a kernel of truth in this phrase, that life is more meaningful when my passions are engaged in what I'm doing. In that aspect, 
We want our hearts, passions to be engaged in what we're doing. But this kind of brings us to our next point as well, that real happiness and purpose comes in following Jesus. Some of our neighbors right now, they've got grapevines in their yard, and maybe you're like picturing grapevines like you would picture a vineyard, you know, where it's a nice clean stock and then it spreads off onto the string that's roped across and everything is lined up and looks pretty. That's not our neighbor's yard. Our neighbors are great, by the way, but their grapevines, they're pretty wild and they're all along the fence that it goes up against our yard. And so every year, those grapevines creep up the fence and they crawl over and they start wrapping themselves around our cedar tree and that other weird tree in the corner of our yard that I don't know what it is and our blackberry bushes and our raspberry bushes. And every year I have to go over there and I have to cut them back and I have to try and pull them out of the trees and the bushes and inevitably it feels like I'm doing some kind of harm to those trees in some way and then I throw all the grapevines over and just kind of flop over onto the other side of the yard. You don't need to laugh at that. It's painful when it's actually happening. If you know a grapevine, they've got these little corkscrew Uh, trindles all over them, right? And so they wrap themselves around all the branches and all these little ways, and they're very difficult to untangle. That's kind of like the desires, our strongest desires in our hearts. They get wrapped around and tangled within our hearts, and we think this is going to be painful to remove this desire in some way. But the fact is that those strong desires often lead to something that's destructive. Jesus, though, and following Jesus, leads to life. And ultimately, following Jesus is what's going to lead to a life of happiness and purpose because Jesus meets our deepest need. Now, we've already talked about this in the last couple of weeks, but there is no other place in the world where a person can experience their desires met to the fullest as America. No one else is as capable as we are of trying to meet our own strong desires. And yet at the same time, America is nowhere even close to being described as a happy country in any study that's out there. We are an unhappy country because when we go after our strong desires and try to meet those desires that don't actually meet our deepest need, we're going to end up unfulfilled in some way. Instead, we need to trust our creator our creator who is working in our lives for good things. This is what the apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is active in your life, forming and changing your heart so that your desires line up with his desires, which ultimately line up with your deepest need that you have. 
but it takes a step forward in following Jesus. It doesn't happen when we follow our own desires. It happens when we follow Jesus and we allow Jesus to do the work, the good work that he wants to do in our lives. And he will do it too. I think back to our passage here and what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, I'm going to show you how to be fishers of people. Literally, what it actually says there is, I will make you fishers of people. I will make you. I will create you into the person that I've always intended you to be. You still get to be you, but allow me to change your heart so that your desires line up with mine. And this is going to be a process. And at times... It's going to be an uncomfortable and painful process as those grapevines are ripped from our hearts in some way. When I um, first gave my life to Jesus, I, uh, I dropped my fishing nets. I followed Jesus. There was nothing that was going to stop me. I put everything down and changed everything in my life to turn to Jesus and to follow him. And now, 18 years later, after making that decision, I can tell you that there are days when I drop that net pretty freely. And there are days when I hold on to it pretty tightly. Or when it holds on to me as well. That ultimate purpose that Jesus is giving to his followers It's not a self-focused purpose. If you think about the, the phrase, follow your heart within our society, the way that it's used is 100% self-focused. It's about my desires. It's about what I want. It's about me and my kingdom. This brings us to the last point here, that Jesus calls us beyond ourselves to serve in his kingdom. Following Jesus takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it first on Jesus and then on everybody else around us. In the kingdom, out of the kingdom, trying to bring people into the kingdom. It takes the focus off of ourselves and squarely puts it in another place. Everything in society, practically, seems like it's telling us to follow our hearts. What does Jesus say? He says, follow me. Don't follow your hearts, but follow me. The beautiful thing about that is that he's about to say that to Matthew, who wrote this gospel, who was a hated individual, who was pretty despicable in society. But even to the biggest outcast, Jesus will say, follow me. Matthew ended up having his life completely changed. And that's what following Jesus when we're open to it is going to happen. That's what's going to happen for us as well. We need to listen to that message from Jesus of follow me daily. Because every day it's a choice. Am I going to let go of that net and follow Jesus today? Or am I going to hold on to that net 
in some way. You will follow your heart. There's no getting out of that. You're going to follow your heart. The question is, what is your heart following and where is it leading you? Proverbs chapter 4 says, guard your heart above all else because it, it uh, determines the course of your life. Your heart will determine the course of your life. Let Jesus determine the course of your heart. Let your executive center be renewed by Jesus to experience the happiness and the purpose that he has for you that goes well beyond yourself and your own heart and extends to the kingdom around. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for being good. I thank you uh, that you offer that invitation freely to everybody. People who have never heard it before, that invitation of follow me is there. And for those who have been following Jesus, it's there every day. Follow you. We need to follow you, Jesus. Help us to do that. Give us the strength to do it. When our heart is entangled and wrapped up with our strongest desires and they're leading us away from you and what our deepest need is, would you help us to turn back toward you and in a new day to follow you? We love you and we trust you. Amen. Amen.